Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the 80s, and gangsters are being played for laughs in movies like Johnny Dangerously, Married to the Mob, and Pritzi's Honor. But in real life, the mob is serious business. The time has come to cripple the power of the mob in America. In New York, Rudy Giuliani puts away the heads of the mafia's notorious five families. They're going to be arraigned at 3 o'clock. But down south, another vicious crime group is still going strong. The Dixie Mafia. The Dixie Mafia was very dangerous. The FBI has recordings where the Italian mob has discussed how violent the Dixie Mafia members are. They operate all over the southern U.S., from Florida to Oklahoma. But the seat of power is a narrow corridor of Biloxi, Mississippi, known as the Strip. The Biloxi Strip was located along the beach uh, in Highway 90. At the time, there were probably 20 strip clubs or nightclubs in that immediate area. Unlike their northern counterparts, the Dixie Mafia is not family-based, and there's no chain of command. There is no capo or capo di tutti capo or any dons or any of the things that you'd normally expect to see in organized crime. They were very loosely organized, but there was a number of members of that who everybody knew you could go to to get drugs, to get somebody killed to set up a gambling operation. Kidnappings, extortions, arson, prostitution, narcotics. Any way a dollar could be made, they were involved in it. In contrast, just a short distance away from the sleaze of the Strip lives one of the most upstanding couples in Biloxi, the Honorable Judge Vincent Sherry. Hi, Vincent J. Sherry. Solemnly swear. Solemnly swear. And his civic-minded wife, Margaret, a city councilwoman. We're going to have to do a lot of things through the effort of a lot of volunteers. They were seen in public very often at civic events, at charity events, out at receptions. They were very involved in their community because of his position and because of hers. Margaret and Vince are both busy, intelligent, but completely dissimilar in every other way. You know, opposites attract. Well, that was Vince and Margaret. He was very involved in the Democratic Party. 
And Margaret was exactly the opposite. She was a stomp down Republican, conservative. They were like oil and water. They were such different people, but such a couple in love with each other. I think they played off of each other and were mature enough to realize, I need to see both sides of the fence. Married for 36 years, the Sherrys have two daughters, Lynn and Leslie, and two sons, Eric and Vin. The family settled in Biloxi in 1970, after Vince retired from the Air Force and became a criminal defense attorney. Vince quite often represented people I had arrested, but he was jovial and he was easy to talk to. Unlike her easygoing husband, Margaret is as tough as nails. It's harder to buck the trend and stand up for your principles than it is to go along with the, the uh, crowd. Strict, she reminds you of a Sunday school teacher or maybe even a nun in a parochial school that walked around with a ruler slapping you on your back of your hands. She was always doing something. She engaged in her political activities and from early morning until seven or eight o'clock at night. Margaret is a force to be reckoned with when she wins a seat on the city council, where she's not afraid to take on the good old boys. What comes to mind is Shirley MacLaine's character in Steel Magnolias. She was outspoken, said what she wanted, you knew where she stood. She was very blunt and spoke her mind. While Margaret is speaking out as a city council member, Vince is a partner in a law firm with his good friend Pete Hallette. I ran into Vincent Sherry and, and Peter Halat in court frequently. Peter Halat was an up-and-coming young lawyer. He was politically active. Pete was a good guy, fun guy. He was always perfectly dressed, hair always perfect, and he knew how to schmooze people. Vince was a very good defense attorney. He was always prepared. He knew the right questions to ask. He would fight to the bitter end. Pete and Vince believe everyone deserves legal representation, especially paying clients. And in Biloxi, the paying clients with the most legal problems are the Dixie Mafia. Everybody's entitled to a defense, and they represent their clients well. And Pete and Vince represent some of the cornbread Cosa Nostra's most colorful figures, from drug smugglers and convicted murderers to the group's kingpin, strip club owner Mike Gillich. He was the crime figure that everybody knew on the coast. Mike was kind of grandfatherly, but with eyes that you could immediately tell, this guy will kill you if he has to. Vince helps Mike with everything, from arranging work permits for his strippers to getting them reduced sentences. As for Pete, one of his star clients is a pal of Gillich's, a con named Kirksey McCord Nix Jr. Nix was serving a life sentence at the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. Killed a grocer and his wife. He was probably one of the 10 smartest people I've ever come across in my life. He was literally a genius as far as I know, but turned it to the dark side. While Vince is defending the lowlifes of Biloxi, his wife Margaret is fighting to run them out of town when she campaigns for mayor. Margaret was determined to rid the coast of the corruption, the nightclubs, the illegal gambling, the prostitution. She not only wants to clean up the strip, but also City Hall. She often butts heads with her opponent, the sitting mayor, Gerald Blessy. You know, it's easy to sit on the sidelines a few hours a week and vote no in everything that comes up. Gerald Blessy has told you that the city has never been in better financial shape. Don't I wish. She and Gerald Blessy 
We're not the best of friends. She just disagreed with a lot of his policies, a lot of his ideas. On June 4th, the election is close. Margaret loses by only 500 votes. Not willing to give up after one defeat, she continues to be a thorn in Gerald Blessy's side. I, Vincent J. Sherry, solemnly swear, solemnly swear. But only a year later, in 1986, it's Vince who enters politics, leaving his law firm to accept an appointment as a state circuit court judge. And for Margaret, it's a relief to have Vince judging Biloxi's sleazy criminals instead of defending them. On the evening of September 14, 1987, Vince and Margaret are getting ready for bed. The next day, they plan to visit their youngest daughter at college. Vincent had uh, arranged to take off the day from his job as a circuit judge, and he was supposed to go over to LSU, visit with his daughter, and then he was gonna be on the bench. As the Sherry settled down for the night, all is quiet, except for the sound of Vince's game on TV and the crickets outside. A typical end to the day for Vince and Margaret, and their last together. The first person to arrive in Vince's court is his clerk, who makes a habit of coming in bright and early to make coffee and prepare the courtroom for the day. But the judge didn't show up when he was supposed to, which was unlike Vince and Sherry. He would show up when he was supposed to show up. They're trying to call them at home, and they're not getting any answer. Repeated calls are going unanswered. And so they start to get concerned. Where's the judge? Worried? Vince's staff calls his good friend and former law partner, Pete Hallett. And so they checked with Hallett's office because they were very close and they assumed that Pete would know something and he didn't know anything either. So suspicion started to get pretty high. Pete Hallett called the Sherry residence. There was no answer. And Pete reported back to the court administrator that he would personally go out to Judge Sherry's house and see why the judge was not at work. Pete heads over to the Sherry's. Hallett arrive at the house and notice that the newspapers have stacked up. The mail hasn't been collected from the mailbox. He walked up to the front door of the house. He saw the dogs running around, barking inside the house. Peter Halat had a key to the house. He opened the door. He went inside. When he went inside, there was uh, an odor that came out. There was dog excrement, and the dogs had not been out. Moments later, Pete runs from the house, panicked and shouting. Vincent and Margaret are dead. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When Pete Hallett enters the home of his friend Vince Sherry, he has a feeling that something isn't right. When Hallett entered, he saw Judge Sherry on his back in the family room with a lot of blood surrounding his body. Within 15 minutes, the Biloxi Police Department arrives. What they discovered initially was Judge Sherry with gunshot wounds to his head. He was shot at very close range. At least one of the shots had hit him in the mouth and sheared off some teeth. And there was some blood. It's obvious that he was alive when he hit the floor because he had pumped out some blood, so his heart was still beating. And apparently the shooter fired one more round into the judge's mouth. The police now wonder where is Margaret Sherry and could the killer still be in the house? They went back down a hallway to the back bedroom and discovered Margaret's body. She had been shot four times in the top of her head. Margaret is slumped down in front of the mirror. It seems that after shooting her husband, the killer surprised her as she was getting ready for bed. 
She was taking off her earrings and she had already gotten one of them. It was in her hand when they found her body. And the other one was in her ear. Whoever came in shot at her across the room from the door first. And those two rounds missed and went into the wall. And she apparently turned around to face her attacker and they got up much closer and shot her. The lives of two of the most prominent people in Biloxi have been brutally cut short. But why? The house was not ransacked in any way by the perpetrator of this crime. Nothing of value was taken. The judge's wallet, uh, Margaret's purse, etc., were still on scene. So definitely was not a routine robbery or burglary. And there are no signs of a forced entry. They were wondering, did the judge know this guy? I mean, did the guy just come knock on the door and he opens the door and he recognizes the person and lets them in? Or did he just open the door not knowing who it was and then the guy forced himself in? A search for fingerprints and a murder weapon comes up empty. But the shell casings they find in the house reveal an important clue. As far as the weapon used during the Sherry murders, it was determined to be a Ruger 22 semi-automatic pistol, which is a favorite caliber of hitmen. The cops also determined that the execution-style shots that hit the Sherrys were fired in pairs, or double taps, a trademark of professional killers. All those people who kill for a living are taught to double tap. The double tap is always meant to assure if the first one don't get you, the second one will. There's also another telltale sign of a professional hit. The cops find pieces of foam around Vince and Margaret's bodies. Foam is a very common substance used in a cheap silencer. With all indications being that the weapon used to kill the Sherry's was silencer equipped, it meant that even Margaret did not hear the gunshots when her husband, the judge, was shot a few rooms away. As their bodies are brought to the morgue for a full autopsy, news of Vince and Margaret's murder blasts through Biloxi like a hurricane. For many, the story is like a bad reoccurring nightmare. Everybody's in shock. This is a prominent couple. This is a sitting circuit judge, this is a sitting city councilwoman, and they know them. Everybody starts, you know, have you heard, have you heard, have you heard? Guess what's on the news? You're not going to believe what I just heard on the radio. Pete Hallett's shocked face is all over the news. I can't possibly conceive of anybody that would, that would hate either Vince or Margaret uh, to the extent that they would do such an irrational act. The Sherry children race home to Biloxi. A strong family bond is what has given the Sherry family strength to endure the tragic loss of their parents. Meanwhile, a task force made up of local police, state troopers, and the FBI come together to investigate the murders. The autopsy results come in, and police are able to correlate them with another valuable piece of information. One friend says Margaret spoke with her between 7 and 7.30 p.m. on September 14th. She could hear Wheel of Fortune on in the background. 200. Based upon the time and the television show that was on, that tended to confirm what the autopsy had revealed about when they had their last meal and how long ago their last meal had been, based on the level of digestion of the food in their stomachs. Police now believe the Sherrys were killed between 7.30 p.m. and midnight on Monday, September 14th. But they still have no idea who killed Vince and Margaret Sherry. There was so much speculation on why the judge and his wife were killed and who killed them. 
And who was the actual target? Was it the judge because someone was mad at him for his sentencing? Or was it Margaret because of her anti-corruption stance and the possibility she might be elected mayor of Biloxi in the future? The reaction of the community about the murders was everything from soup to nuts. There were people that were scared to death, especially people that lived in that neighborhood. How could a hitman come into our neighborhood and kill a judge who ought to be, you'd expect, one of the better prepared and protected people? On September 19th, five days after the homicides, Biloxi comes to mourn the Sherrys. Why has God deemed to take Vince and Margaret from us? Pete Hallett delivers an eloquent, emotional eulogy, ending it with a passionate pledge. Pete Hallett more or less made a campaign promise that he would run for mayor next uh, on the anti-corruption platform of Margaret Sherry. Among those paying their last respects to the Sherrys are cops, but they're not off duty. The police are there at the funeral in plain clothes because they're looking to see who's attending the funeral. Somebody that makes their red flags go up. The Sherry's daughter, Lynn, has someone in mind. Her mother's political arch rival, Biloxi Mayor Gerald Blessy. It was not a secret that she and Gerald Blessy didn't like each other. Well, we had a, a lady come up to us at the wake and say, honey, 75% of the people in this town believe Gerald Blessy had your mom and daddy killed, and the other 25% are related to him. In response to the growing rumors, Mayor Blessy soon holds a press conference. Although Judge and Mrs. Sherry and I had robust political debates, these differences were about ideas and were tough but normal political debate. They quickly want to dispel any uh, rumor or speculation that it was politically motivated. It was an effort to assure people that this is not a political hit and Mayor Blessy is not involved. Meanwhile, the police start looking at Vince's former law clients as possible suspects. Sherry's former clients were of interest to the police because they knew that he didn't hesitate to represent some unsavory characters. The strip club owners, the strippers, uh, whoever else did business at the strip clubs uh, that maybe weren't the most reputable people. It's a dangerous business when you, uh, when you have those kind of clients, and that is always one of the first things that comes to the law enforcement's mind the revenge that criminal defendants have when they're sitting in jail and they feel like their lawyer failed them. Who would want to kill this guy? Maybe somebody that he sold out or somebody that he didn't do a good job for. While the cops look into Vince's clients, his daughter Lynn is getting impatient. She wants the FBI to take over the investigation. But since it's not a federal case, there's only so much the agency can do. What we did was offer our laboratory experts to come down and assist on the crime scene. Also, we offered to uh, cover out-of-state leads. So we mainly assisted the locals rather than leading or taking over the investigation. But the Biloxi police come up with the most promising lead yet, a tape made just four months before the Sherrys were killed. There had been some type of threat made against Judge Sherry while he was on the bench. And the recording is of Vince addressing his court about this threat. Would you believe in the past two weeks, I've had an out-of-state threat on my life and an in-city threat on my life. And I know where it's coming from, but I'll see myself in the pits of hell 
before I'll be afraid of these people. Detectives listen to the tape over and over again, but there are no clues to who's made those threats that could lead them to Vince's killer. It seems Vince kept all the details to himself, and they died with him. But as the cops continue combing through the files from the law firm Vince shared with Pete Hallett, they uncover something unusual. There had been a significant number of telephone calls back and forth between the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola and Pete Hallett's law office. The number was something like 340 or 345 calls in the prior nine months before the Sherrys were murdered. So obviously this was of great interest. I practiced criminal defense law for about nine and a half years. If I took more than one or two calls a week from a client of mine, that was a lot. Anyone who gets more than a couple of calls from a client, something's going on there. The police learned that the calls were to and from Pete Hallette and Kirksey McCord Nix Jr., the Dixie Mafia kingpin serving life in Angola, and Pete Hallette's client. So the cops questioned Pete about the calls. Hallette claimed the reason he was in contact with Nix on a regular basis was that he was representing him on various legal matters. But Pete isn't the only one at the office talking to Nix. There's also someone close to him working at Pete's law firm. Pete had allowed LaRae Sharp, the girlfriend of Kirksey Nix, to have an office. LaRae has been compared to Dolly Parton, but not because of her stature, but because of her hair. She had lots of blonde hair and wore it in all kind of different arrangements and so forth. And she was kind of happy about uh, wearing nice clothes and showing off her body and that sort of stuff. Pete explains LaRae's presence as a favor to his well-paying client. Nix lets her handle minor issues related to his finances. And there is no other explanation for it other than he did it as a favor to Kirksey because Kirksey asked him to do that because he wanted her there to keep an eye on his money. It may look fishy, but there doesn't seem to be any connection between the calls to Angola and the Sherry murders. One by one, the cops' most promising leads start to fizzle out, including Mayor Gerald Blessy. Detectives can't find one piece of evidence tying him to the murders. Gerald Blessy, no matter what you thought about him, he was a very, very capable politician who had weathered lots of storms. And what Margaret Sherry might have said about him, I think would have just rolled off his back like water off a duck's back. So as far as I know, there was never any substance, any truth, any real reason to believe those rumors about Gerald Blessy. As days turn into weeks and weeks into months, the task force dwindles and so does cooperation between family members and police. Investigators now operate under the assumption that Vince Sherry is the target, but they're at a dead end. Then in June of 1989, a very unlikely source drops a bombshell that stuns all of Biloxi. I was there when the, when the agreement was made. To kill Mr. Sherry? Yes. Meanwhile, Pete Hallett's promise at their funeral to run for mayor of Biloxi becomes a reality. I want to get this city pointed back in the right direction. Pete easily wins the election to become mayor. Pete Hallett was elected, number one, because he ran on the policies and beliefs of Margaret Sherry, and he was a hometown boy, just a popular local candidate. But for Lynn Spazito, the Sherry's eldest daughter, Pete's deep commitment to finding her parents' murderer has gone unfulfilled. Here it is, 1989. Well, two years have passed. There is nothing on the Sherry case. 
The task force is downsizing. There's nothing for them to do. They have run after every lead, every suspect, everything they had. They just reached dead end. Lynn decides to take matters into her own hands. She's aggravated. She's had it. She wants to know why there's nothing going on in her parents' case, and she sees that it has stalled, and she's just not happy with that. I very much believe in a hereafter, and I believe I'm going to see my parents. And how could I look them in the eye and say, I didn't love you enough to find out who did this to you? So she goes and finds her own private investigator, the retired Mississippi State Highway Patrol officer by the name of Rex Armistead. Rex had great instincts, so he was a great investigator. He was also a classic definition of being larger than life. And he had a network of snitches, as they call them, that went across state lines and everything else. As he dives into the case, Armistead's instincts lead him straight to Pete Hallett's law office. He wants to find out more about all those calls from Angola. So he makes some visits to Angola, and that's where he uncovers a prisoner by the name of Bobby Joe Fabian. Fabian is a member of the Dixie Mafia. Armistead had arrested him in the past and knew that he was connected to Kirksey Nix. He knew that Bobby Joe was the grapevine keeper. If there was something going on involving Kirksey McCord Nix, Fabian would at least know about it. And Armistead knows Fabian would be ready and willing to talk. Fabian was charged with killing a horse breeder and uh, was doing life. And one of his goals was to get out of Angola. Angola State Penitentiary in Tunica, Louisiana, is one of the most dangerous spots on the planet. One of the reasons that he was trying to help was so he could get transferred to Mississippi. Fabian begins by telling Armistead about a coast-to-coast -coast Lonely Heart scam that Kirksey Nix is running from his prison cell. What they did was the inmates pretended to be a young gay male who was interested in leaving the South and locating a new partner. They put ads in the Advocate, mostly in the Advocate, which was for gay uh, men, and they then would put a picture of a good-looking young man in there, and they would give an address where they could contact him. The victims would respond to a P.O. box listed in the ad inmates. They'd write letters back and say, I need some money for bus transportation to where you are and for some clothes. So they'd hit them easy at first, $250, $300, $400, and they would get them hooked. There was one guy sent $17,000, one was $20,000. It was a genius scam. It really was. And if any of the victims got wise to the scam, Nix and his conspirators would threaten to out them something a closeted gay man in the 1980s would do almost anything to avoid. So the money kept flowing to Nix via Western Union to pick up people on the outside. Normally the money was wired from the scam victims around the country through Western Union wire transfers. Around 500,000 is supposedly what the participants say had been brought in. The purpose of the scam was to generate sufficient money for Kirksey Nix to be able to buy his way out of Angola through bribes and uh, corrupt payoffs to whatever politician and authority could arrange his release. But Armistead wonders how the scam has anything to do with the murders of Vince and Margaret Sherry. 
until Bobby Joe Fabian drops a bombshell that promises to blow the lid off the case. Ground Zero is City Hall and Mayor Pete Hallett. What he had to tell Rex Armistead was just wild. Hallett was the recipient of the money, according to Bobby Joe Fabian. The money from the scam was being delivered by various sources to his office. Hallett oversaw the money. When it came time for the money to change hands, the money that Peter Hallett was supposedly holding to finance the uh, pardons, some several hundred thousand dollars, came up missing. Kirksey finds out that somebody's taking his money to buy his pardon. He was livid. This was not only about losing money, it was about losing the only shot at freedom he thought he had. And he said, somebody's gonna die for this. According to Bobby Joe Fabian, when Hallett gets wind that Kirksey Nix has discovered the missing money, he immediately arranges a meeting at Angola with his client. Bobby Joe Fabian said that somebody had to die for that missing money, and it sure wasn't gonna be Pete Hallett. The only thing Hallett could think of was for Kirksey to have somebody else to blame it on, and he gave up Vince. He said, Vince got the money. Investigators are stunned by the claim that Pete Hallett, now the mayor of Biloxi, blamed Vince Sherry for stealing from the Dixie Mafia. Money Hallett himself had stolen. But to FBI agent Keith Bell, it has the ring of truth. The Dixie Mafia doesn't play, and when you start taking the proceeds without permission, there's a good chance you'll be killed. By giving up what he knows about the murder of the Sherrys, Angola inmate Bobby Joe Fabian has knowingly put his life in danger, and with good reason. One of his goals was to get out of Angola. One of the reasons that he was trying to help authorities was so he could get transferred. He knew he was gonna spend the rest of his life in prison, but he might as well be somewhere where he's not in danger. Fabian figures the best way to get transferred was to push authorities to have to protect him. And he does it by going on TV with his allegations of Pete Hallett's involvement in the murders of the Sherrys. Bobby Joe did that specifically to put himself in the kind of danger where they would have to move him. I was there when the, when the agreement was made. To kill Mr. Sherry? Yes. He was not as stupid as it looks from talking to the police. He got what he wanted out of that deal. I mean, he was a shrewd character. Authorities say they are looking at a link between the Sherry murders and a money scam run by an inmate formerly represented by Pete Hallett. Pete Hallett naturally went berserk, went, I mean, just ballistic about it. He called a news conference the very next day, maybe. Kind of dared to prove it was him that had done it. That any suggestion that I was involved in planning the murder of Benson Margaret Sherry is an outright lie. It was overkill, it was too much. To quote Shakespeare, me thinks he protests too much. And that really gave the law enforcement officers uh, a kind of a perked up ear to say, well, there's something really here. But after two years of dead ends, there's now enough information for the FBI to take the lead on the case. Puts the FBI right in the middle. We had the scam that was interstate and uh, that was enough to get us going uh, in the Sherry murders. With the Bureau now in charge, FBI agent Keith Bell zeroes in on Pete Hallett's law office. There he uncovers other players in Kirksey Nix's Lonely Hearts scam, including Biloxi strip club owner, 
Mike Gillich. Mike Gillich was pretty much the leader of the criminal enterprise down here on the coast. And those two had a lot of interplay. And Gillich is just like uh, brothers with Peter Latt. Both Peter Latt and Gillich were tight with Nicks. You know, this is pretty interesting. And the FBI is able to pinpoint Nix's girlfriend, Lorraine Sharp's role at Pete's office. She was called a paralegal, but it's ridiculous. She was no more a paralegal than my four-year-old grandson is. After Vince Sherry left the practice in 1986, Lorraine Sharp moved into a back office and acted as the conduit between Kirksey Nix and Pete Hallett. With her legal standing as a certified paralegal as sworn to by Pete Hallett, she was able to make telephone calls, what we call legal calls, which were not monitored. So they gave them the possibility of talking about the scams and continuing on uh, with the scam activity. But that isn't all the FBI discovers. They find a possible link between the scam and the murders. We were able to show through subsequent investigation that LaRae Sharp and Peter Latt actually rented a safe deposit box together in which we believe much of the scam money was placed. But over the years, uh, Pete Halat, who had a, a lifestyle that was above his normal income as an attorney, started taking uh, some of that money out. With this discovery, investigators now have a link between the scam and the murders. They hope by pursuing charges on the scam, the truth will come out. Prosecutors indict Kirksey Nix, Lorraine Sharp, and Biloxi club owner Mike Gillich on charges of federal conspiracy and wire fraud. But Pete Hallett isn't named in the indictments. Peter Hallett was nowhere to be found in those indictments. People were shocked. Half the community thought Peter Hallett was involved in it. The other half didn't. He proclaimed his innocence. See, they didn't indict me, so I didn't do it. Believing something and proving it is two different things, and the government just just didn't have it to indict him. After a six-week trial, the jury finds Nix, Sharp, and Gillett guilty of conspiracy and wire fraud, and each is sent to prison. But the question, who killed the Sherrys and why, remains. But in 1994, two years after being sentenced, one of the guilty will finally provide the answer. Mike Gillich received a 15-year prison sentence. Gillich was not a young man at that time. The thought of spending 15 years of his life, of what he had left, in a federal prison obviously got him thinking. Because two years after he started serving his term, he decides he's going to cut a deal. He's going to sing. He called the next day to the FBI and said, I'm through. I want to tell you everything. He told it all. He was literally the only person who could have filled in all the details, the things that we couldn't possibly have proved without him. And the reason is, Mike Gillich is Kirksey Nix's point man for the hit on the Sherry's. Nothing happened that didn't go through him, and he was the key. And he told the story about how it all went down, how the money had come up missing, how Peter Latt had falsely implicated Judge Sherry and how that led to the deaths of Sherry, Judge Sherry and Margaret. Gillich revealed that the hitman was a guy named Thomas Holcomb, who was known to the authorities down there. The investigators learn how Holcomb got into the Sherry house. 
The judge uh, answered the door, and the hitman said, I have a message for you from your friend in Las Vegas. And he gave the name of the friend, which was correct. So the judge invited him in, but as soon as they reached the family room, Holcomb shot the judge twice in the face. At that point, Holcomb, after shooting the judge, walked to where Margaret was in the bedroom. He fired twice at her from the doorway. Both shots barely missed her. Margaret fainted. And then Holcomb came over and shot her four times in the top of the head. At that point, he exited that bedroom and went back to the family room. He saw the judge still moving around, and he fired one more round into the judge's mouth. Basically, Mike Gillich's story was confirmed on every detail. So that's what the prosecution was hoping for. They needed to reel in the big fish, and the big fish was Pete Hallett. Nearly a decade after the murders of Vince and Margaret Sherry, their friend Pete Hallett is indicted and charged with conspiracy to commit murder along with Kirksey Nix, Lorraine Sharp, and Thomas Holcomb. After one week of deliberations, the jury reaches a verdict. They acquit Pete Hallett on the charge of conspiracy to commit murder, but find him guilty of conspiracy to commit racketeering, obstruction of justice, and wire fraud. Hallett is sentenced to 18 years in prison. I just can't imagine the pain that that family went through. It, it consumed Lynn Spazito, but she was determined. She was gonna get justice for her folks, and she did. Nothing will satisfy the loss of both your parents, especially in this way, but I think she's gotta be satisfied that the system worked. It is incomprehensible to me that anyone could do that to a friend. But on the other hand, it is incomprehensible to me that any lawyer would be involved with so many scurrilous folks. Biloxi today is light years away from the city it was in the 1980s. The strip clubs and dives have been replaced by casinos where gambling is now legal. And with the cleanup of Biloxi came the demise of another Gulf Coast institution. The Dixie Mafia, the southern branch in Biloxi, Mississippi, is gone. It's over with. All the players are in jail or dead. All of them. But two people who committed their lives to making Biloxi better are also gone. Their lives cut short before their dreams for their beloved city came true. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.